My messaging, my approach has changed to the point where I don't talk about my success or my results on Instagram. I only talk about my students. My students are the best example of what you can do when you're starting in whatever niche and starting from fresh to attract the right people who will become a customer. So 100%, even in 2021, you can start a new account, a new business on Instagram, start with the right foundations in place, you'll attract quality, real people who will actually become customers. And that's what counts. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson. And we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue. And we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash The Club. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CEO School, the podcast. I'm your host, Sanira Madani. And today I have the treat of having the expert Instagram creator, digital entrepreneur, and coach for so many women on and men on how to scale their Instagram and actually monetize it. So it's not just about the, the followers and it's not just about vanity metric. It's really how you're taking, showing up online, Uh, different Instagram growth strategies to actually monetize your feed and monetize your Instagram to drive a thriving business. And the founder here is Elise Dharma. Elise is a seven-figure entrepreneur. She built this business from scratch. She's been online for ages and she's always on top of the trends and what's happening. And so I'm so excited to welcome her to the show um, because I know you guys are going to take away and I'm going to take away real-time tips and tricks that I can't wait to apply. Elise, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Sanira. I'm so excited to chat with you today and share what's been going on. Yeah, no, I'm so pumped to have you because our entire business at CEO School was built off of Instagram. So I know the power of connecting online. And I actually didn't know the space uh, prior. It's funny because you and I actually met at a wedding a couple mm-hmm. years ago at one of our friend's weddings. Uh, we have a mutual friend who got married. We met in New York and I was telling Elise that I'm dabbling in Instagram. My Instagram's growing and I kind of don't know where to go with this. And at the time, uh, my handle was mom boss. I had the mom boss uh, co-handle. Uh, and I was, I think I was pregnant with Anna at that time as well. And mm-hmm. I was telling you that this feels so, it feels like I have no idea where to begin. And the thing that you told me, you're like, Sarah, you're perfect for this. you just, just start. Like, I believe like that was probably the first advice you gave me was like, just show up and be you. It's going to work out. And here we are a couple years later and, uh, I get to interview you on the show. Uh, and it comes full circle. So I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. You, I remember that too, because also your handles are amazing. Like mom boss and CEO school, such good handles. However, whatever magic you have to get these handles, congrats for getting such great handles. But it's been really interesting to witness your um, evolution on social media over the last, I think it was three years ago we met. I think it was 2017. Uh, I don't know, maybe 2018. But you have embraced it as someone who is clearly busy with 
multiple businesses, a family, and yet I still love to see you show up on Reels and TikToks. You're making the time, you're learning the tools. It just goes to show that it's not too late and you're never too busy to pick up a new skill, especially when it can grow your business like this. I couldn't agree with that more. And I will say that you are not too busy to do this. And I would not be able to do it if it was hard. Like if it truly wasn't achievable or something that you could do, you just have to show up and make it part of your cadence. And it's actually so fulfilling because I think one of the elements of it is I was always a content creator at heart. So, you know, you have to have the love to say, okay, you love your business, but also you like to be creative. And this was actually a creative outlet for me. And it was, I didn't realize like how much it actually fulfilled this creativity that I couldn't let out in other ways in my day-to-day business, right. In tech and in, 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 in what I was in payments and finance, like I was not able to be creative, but I had so much creative energy. And actually what ended up happening is by me utilizing the other side of my brain, letting out all this creative energy, it actually helped my other side of my brain operate better. And even my business flourish, even at fat merchant. And so it's just, it's, it was a, it was a, a really great decision. Um, obviously that I was really excited about, but it actually isn't hard. And even as busy as you are, you can make time. And so Elise, I would love to maybe start with one, your story, because I want to know how you got started in this space, how you built your way all the way up to becoming a seven figure entrepreneur, less than 2%, less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. And that statistic is the reason why I started CEO school with Shannon and why we're here today is because that number should be like 98%, right? It should be the mm-hmm. complete opposite. So let's start with your story. I'd love to hear how you did this, how you achieved this. Yeah. Well, just hearing you speak about that, the percentage and reaching a million in revenue, it was almost giving me chills because I've been working for myself since 2013. So eight years now and full-time since 2014, if I'm doing math correctly, so seven. And we're relatively new to being in the seven-figure range of business. It was a good five, six years of not making seven figures and still being perfectly happy and okay. And, you know, going back to my story origin, um, I started as a nine-to-five employee. I finished my degree in radio and television arts, but I really started to feel the dredge of being in an office every day, of only having two weeks to travel. My desktop screensaver was of Bali. There's a co-working space there called Hubud. It's basically a treehouse for adults. And you work from this treehouse. And it was my dream. It was plastered on my desktop. And uh, luckily, I was working in marketing at the time. And one day, one of the entrepreneurs in the space, because I worked in a tech incubator, so I was in a good spot. Uh, One of the entrepreneurs asked me, you know, hey, Elise, I'm looking for a marketing rock star. Do you know of anyone? And at that point, it had been a year that I'd read Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. And I was like, okay, do I do a product business like Tim? Like, what am I going to do? I have a video background. Should I start a video production company? And this friend reached out and that was when the light went off. And I was like, wait, I have marketing experience. Let me put myself forward. And that was actually a really big step. At the time I was 25, 26, and I was really just developing my own inner confidence um, in myself and my own abilities. So I put my name forward and said, hey, I'm actually looking to take on clients on the side. 
So one week later, we have an assigned agreement. Um, I'm charging them $1,000 a month. In my mind, I'm like, this is incredible. $1,000 a month on top of my salary. Uh, yeah. And so I, I continued to work with this client. They were a fashion brand. And my, my goal was to grow their Instagram. And so in six months, back in 2013, 2014, we were able to hit 100,000 followers very quickly. We did a lot of influencer marketing. It's a very different landscape then. Um, but word of mouth spread. And then I had a handful of clients. Nine months later, after my first client, I had my fork in the road decision. It was time to quit my job or take on another client. And it was actually a more difficult decision than I thought it would be because there's a lot of pros to having a, a nine to five job. But I, I did give in my notice and this was in 2014. So I officially went on my own full time, started an agency. And back then my goal was location independence. Bali was the goal. And so January 1st, 2015, I landed in Bali and I went to this co-working space and it was just like this incredible full circle moment. Backstory, I was also on an eat, pray, love because I was going through a breakup. <laughs> so that, you know, there was a double benefit to being there, but I started my own business. I actually felt incredibly lonely. I was not prepared for being on my own, working from my dining table. I had no home office set up and then I went traveling. So that first year was really learning like, who was I as, as a CEO? I, I don't even think I called myself a CEO. I barely called myself a freelancer. This is how much I was just barely tiptoeing into this world. And so that was my life for the first few years. I had a, a location independent business. I was making more than my salary as an employee. As an employee, I was making 55, 60K a year. And then with my own business, I was upwards of 75K a year, which was great. It was just me, a handful of clients. It allowed me to travel. In 2016, that's when I kind of got itchy feet and I thought, you know, my business is sort of just static. Like, how do I make more money? And I realized, well, I need more clients. So that was the first time I decided to build a personal brand. I opened up the Elise Dharma Instagram account. I used all my travel photos to tell stories. And I actually experimented to grow my own personal Instagram. By the end of that summer, I had 30,000 followers. By the end of that year, I had 50 or 60,000 followers, which was great. But now all my followers were like, you know, they didn't want my agency services. They wanted to know, Hey, Elise, how are you traveling so much? And B, how are you growing your Instagram? So the light bulb went off again. And I thought, Oh, there's like a whole other business here. And I don't know what I'm doing. So the next light bulb went off and I realized I could hire a business coach. I did. I launched the Elise Dharma personal brand in 2017. I created my first digital product, which was an Instagram marketing course. It still exists today called Instagrowth Boss. And that's when my business hit six figures for the first time, adding in a digital product. So I was kind of removing myself out of the whole exchange of, you know, I'll put my time in and get paid for it. With a digital product, I was able to hit six figures. And that's how I've scaled my business since then. I've really moved out of one-on-one -on -one services. Our agency is now closed and we've built up a product suite of digital products. So over the years, we went from 100,000 revenue to 300 to 400. And then just in the last year, we were able to break through that seven figure mark. So I'm still like, you know, getting used to it. I still kind of have chills talking about it. It's still not the most comfortable topic to talk about. And maybe there's something there, you know, talking about money openly. Um, but that's been my journey in not so short of a, a nutshell.
No, that was incredible. I mean, there's so many places I want to, I'm going to come back to you right now because I think so many women are in that position. So many women, like everything you said, getting to your journey, it wasn't anything. I think that it's very relatable. It's very relatable to maybe the woman who has all this expertise um, and is stuck. She's stuck in her nine to five that she's not happy with, but also doesn't even know how to get started. I think one of the biggest challenges is taking that risk and taking that leap of faith. And I will say some people are able to do it and some aren't, but you, it's not just, the first step is being able to take that risk. But also you have to be kind of those, one of those people that you light a fire under your butt and you you have to press go because now as an entrepreneur, what you kill is what you eat. And so otherwise you're not eating. And so, you know, taking that risk is a huge piece. Um, And that's part of every founder story, right? There's always that element of taking that risk, but then it's what you do with that. It's not just about the, the billion dollar idea. I always say it's the billion dollar execution. And so you're, you knew firsthand that the way to scale, and it is, and I do believe in this principle, it's, it's that one-on-one services to start with, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's understanding your customer. I see people go the complete opposite and they want to start with digital products and they want to go straight into their courses. But if you haven't really understood your customer, if you really haven't understood and solved problems for them, for them firsthand, you know, I think that there is a, there's value to that and building in that crawl, walk, run. And um, so you get your services and you're getting high ticket clients, but then you're capped at a certain point, right? You're, you're limited to the number of hours that you have in the day for how many clients that you can take on. And then you're turning into an agency because you're, then you're scaling on human capital. You don't want to scale on human capital, right? Cause then you're always capped on hours. And what you did was so extremely smart to say, Hey, I have this expertise. You've proven it out through in tech, we call it an MVP, right? So you're using yourself as your own beta. You're like growing your Instagram, you're growing your client's Instagram. And then you're like, I need to reach more people. And then you do that through the digital programs and digital passive income um, and scaling that. And so it is, it is definitely, um, it, it didn't happen overnight. And I think that that is something that is so important to kind of pull out of this because it took you that six, seven years to get there. And some people may get there faster and some people may, may never get there, but hard work is the shortcut. It wasn't because it just happened one day and you went viral online and then that was it. That's very rare on how that happened. So your journey is well-deserved and because you put in the work to get there. And now it's not going to go away because there's a foundation at every single step. Yeah. And, and definitely like on that, that point of going viral, some of my competitors in the industry that I'm in, that was their jumpstart in the industry. They had one post, one video go viral and they leveraged it. And that's brilliant. Like if you're given that gift, do it. But I would say from my experience and majority of the people out there, you're not going to go viral overnight and be featured on yahoo.com and have a million views on your YouTube video. Um, You are going to have to put in the consistency and the work and the learning. I mean, when I look back on my journey, I just see myself as a somewhat scared, insecure person who was tepidly taking those steps forward when it came to my first client or when it came to hiring a business coach and investing a thousand dollars a month, which was like crazy to me at that time, but I did it anyway. When it came to doing my first live webinar, when it came to pitching live for the first time, the the video is actually on my Facebook page, Elise Dharma, if you want to scroll back and see it, my voice is literally shaking. And I play that video to share with people you might see me on YouTube today. You might see me today and think, oh, she's, she's there. But like, look at my beginning. I was scared. I was 
awkward. I was stumbling, but I still did it anyway. And that first time I pitched live, 50 people bought that course, which at the time was just an idea. And, and I literally felt sick afterwards. I was like, what have I done? I put an idea out there and there's people gave me money to make it. Like it was quite the journey um, that I wasn't internally prepared for yet, but I just kept taking the steps and then my internal stuff kind of had to catch up. That's how I see my journey. That's amazing because that is, that's the truth of it, right? I mean, we're all afraid. And if for anyone that looks at anybody, even looking at my Instagram right now and whoever's watching and following that, that was three years. And every day, if you look back, like I'm getting better every day, the more content I put out, the more reels I do, the more whatever I do. And it's, it's, you're learning as you're growing. And so having that, you're like the, the, the fact that when you go back and you look at your first, it's a humbling moment and it mm-hmm. shouldn't be one that's brushed over because there's no, we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to chase what's the next thing. It's just about putting yourself out there and then developing that skill further, right? Develop, doing it better the next time and the next time and just getting that little bit of validation, right? Getting that first customer in through the door to turn into 50 customers, even when you thought you were awful, right? Even mm-hmm. when you thought you were like, this, this was so hard. If you didn't put yourself out there, if you didn't um, almost make yourself sick, <laughs> you wouldn't have this business today because that, that step was needed in that validation of that journey. And that's human growth, right? That's, that's not even just business. That is anything we do in life. Um, it's practice, right? That's for every athlete. That's right. It's just practice. And you, and that's where confidence is actually built. I don't believe that anyone's just born with confidence. It's actually a built trait and that's part of entrepreneurship. And you just have leveraged that so gracefully. I mean, I watch your videos all the time and I'm like, how does she do it? Really? Like that is what comes across and you're so quick and you're so snippy and you're so funny and, um, you're, um, it's just beautiful. So that's amazing. And I'm just so proud of sharing the story because you leveraged it even in a market that's so competitive. And I think that that's also some place that a lot of women fear that they can't come into because there's already somebody else. So can you talk a little bit about how you really stood out from the pack? Man, this is a great question, a loaded question, because I just think back to two years ago, maybe three years ago, where I just felt like my business had reached a level where it had plateaued for several years. Similar to my freelancer days, it had plateaued at a certain income level. When I created my first digital product, I, I increased my revenue, but we weren't really growing. And I felt really stuck. You know, I was really uh, working on a webinar funnel and I was getting into automation. I was getting into ads and yet I did not see the overnight growth that I saw a lot of my competitors have, whether it was a viral YouTube video or, you know, they launched their Instagram course and they made half a million dollars. I, I had a period almost for a year where I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I talked to my then boyfriend, now fiance, and And he played the devil's advocate and he said, okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what it would look like for you to go back into the workforce and work for someone else. All he had to do was suggest that for me to be like, oh, you're right. I couldn't even do that. Like, this is just a problem that I need to figure out. And for about a year, I kind of, I tried things, but I didn't really throw myself into something. What I was doing was reusing an old strategy that had worked once. And I was trying to rework it for like a year, trying to make it work, but I was not breaking through uh, in terms of our revenue. So what I did was make two decisions. One was 
invest in a channel outside of paid ads. At the time, it was Facebook and Instagram ads. Invest in a channel outside of paid ads. And in that case, I chose YouTube. YouTube has been a slow burn for me, slow growth. I think we're close to 50,000 subscribers for now or at this time, but it's been almost two years. Like, again, I never really had a video go viral that uh, got featured on the homepage and all of a sudden I blew up my subscribers. Not really. It's been a slow, consistent burn. And now we have this larger organic audience who are finding us for free, whether it's on my YouTube channel or on my blog. So that was one decision I made back then to help elevate me from my competitors. I needed to be beyond Instagram. Yes, I could have an amazing Instagram profile, but I needed to bring people in through search. So investing in YouTube was one thing. The second key decision I made to differentiate myself was to stop pushing a online course anywhere between $500 and $1,000. That was the roadblock I kept coming up across because I had an email list of 20, 25,000 people. I would promote my course. I would launch my course. It was anywhere between, I don't know, $400 and $600. And people would not buy at the rate that I thought they would buy. And it really frustrated me. I'm like, why are these subscribers here? What do they want from me? Do they just want free content? What is it? I really had to dig deep into this problem. And that's when I realized, you know what? Maybe $600 or whatever the course is, is just too much for people right now. Maybe they need a bite-sized version to get a taste of what my trainings are like. And then they'll feel more confident in purchasing the $600 course. This was an idea that I had just over a year ago, and it has changed the game for our business. That's why we now have a product suite of courses that are less than $100. In fact, most of them are like between $30 and $50. And so you can call them mini courses, mini digital products, um, appetizers, whatever you want to call them, but they aren't full-blown marketing courses. They are... I would say done for you or templated work as much as possible. So for, for example, the first um, digital product we came out with was called Story Vault. And it was, it's, it was 365 ideas. Now it's 800 ideas for your Instagram stories so that you can actually grow your business through Instagram stories. So that's one. Now we have Caption Vault, which is 300 done-for-you caption templates. And now we also have Videos Vault, which is 300 videos for your business to grow on TikTok and Reels. So as you can see, it's not really like a full-blown marketing course, which I kind of gathered from my audience. They didn't really want. Maybe they were overwhelmed by it. But instead, it's like, hey, I've done weeks of brainstorming. Here, Here you go. Here are the ideas. Here are the captions. Have them. And that's what's really changed our our business model for the better. And that's how I was able to differentiate myself. I love it. I love it. I love it so much because we teach this in 2.0 on scalability. When you're hitting that roadblock, it's actually customer lifetime value is what I'm looking at. So you're expecting your funnel to always buy just one product and they may not be ready for that. And so, and you want to be able to, you know, move your leads um, into into some sort of purchasing decision, give them the value. And then they're going to trust you to then move on to the next phase and move on to the next phase. And so that is so genius. And I think every single person here listening needs to go apply that right away. Um, because we expect not everyone is going to be ready at that right time at that right price point. And it's not that your price point, it's actually not about, you know what I love about it. And you didn't discount your course. You didn't say that my course is too expensive. That's not what it was. They needed to get that bite-sized piece in order to be like, hey, you know what? This is great. 
I really want this element of it. And then I'm ready for that next level. And I love the done for you little appetizer that you called it because it's so simple. It's your expertise. It's what you're good at. And it's so quick. It's such a quick buying decision, at least for people that have been following you for so long that haven't made a purchase, right? That are just consuming content all day long for free, which is amazing. And that is the consistency. You have to put in that work to go build that. And you are going to be putting out content for free for a long time. But now you have that offering for them to take that bite, that first bite to say, Hey, you know what? The story vault, let me go take a look at that. And then they like it. And then they want the TikTok vault. Then they want the video Mm -hmm. vault. And then they want the other things. And they're like, you know what? I have all of this. I'm ready for the marketing course. And I'm ready to go work with Elise on a, whatever else, the next thing that you create. That is genius. Yeah. And at the time it was against conventional advice in the online business space, which is oh, your business is plateaued, launch a high ticket offer, launch a mastermind, charge someone $10,000 to work with you. And I just felt like, A, I didn't know if I wanted to give that much of myself to someone and have that weight of them being like, I gave you $10,000, now help me, you know, help my business grow. But B, I just didn't think my audience would really resonate with like a $10,000 offer. So I decided to go the opposite way that I was being uh, advised to go. And that was to create, you know, a $27, $37 product. And it's exactly like you said, it gives people a taste of what I'm like as a teacher. It's specifically designed to be a no brainer decision so that it's not that hard, especially if they just meet me through an ad on Facebook, they don't know who I am. It looks like a good offer. You know, I want it to be easy. And now they're in my world. And the difference is instead of having an email list of 25,000 people who joined from a freebie, we have an email list of customers and there's so much strength and power in that. Ooh, I love that. That's so true because that's the lead, like the, the lead magnet isn't actually the freebie magnet. It's your customer base. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. That's so good, Elise. That's such a, that's so incredible. Tell me a little bit about, could you share some um, tips and tricks with the audience of one, let's talk about um, Instagram growth strategies, because obviously this is where you're an expert in, but I'd also like to come back to some of your ad strategies or other ways that you're growing from an organic standpoint. Let's talk about growth there. And then let's talk about the inorganic as well. Sure. So when it comes to Instagram strategies, this is something that I came up with through my product story vault. I brainstormed this product idea for six months before I made a move, because again, I wanted to make sure it was different than anything out on the market. And what it is, is prompts and ideas for your stories. You know, this already existed on the market, but I wanted to make sure mine was different. And it hit me one day when I was riding my bike that it was the summertime in Toronto. And I realized that my business also has seasons, just like the weather seasons. My business also has seasons. And sometimes you're in a season of needing visibility, meaning you need eyeballs, you need followers to know who you are. Sometimes you're in a season of engagement, meaning you have enough followers. You just need to know why they're there, right? What they're wanting from you. I I went through this period when I grew my Instagram initially. Next, you could be in a season of lead generation. You have enough followers, you know what they want. Now you need to know who's interested in what you could potentially offer. And then the last season is a season of sales. We all go through a season of needing to sell, whether we're live launching an offer or, you know, booking out our call calendar to make sure we're booking and coaching clients, whatever our business model is. So I realized 
there's these four seasons. So I actually called it, called it the story seasons method. It's baked into my product story vault, meaning the ideas you get are divided by the season that your business is in. So most people are in a season of visibility. Most people need to be known. Most people need followers. So when you're in a season of visibility, there's certain things you can do on Instagram to be seen more like better by more people, new people. And, and this is part of my teaching too. Instagram's a busy platform. It could be a part-time job if you did all the things every single day. So with the story seasons method, I like to teach my students, hey, if this is what your business needs the most right now, visibility, you can ignore some things about Instagram and just focus on certain features. So as an example, when it comes to your Instagram stories and you want to be found by new people, what I like to do as a, as a strategy is shout out other key accounts in your stories and make sure you tag them because when you tag their handle, they get notified that you have mentioned them. But you want to shout out other key accounts that have a similar audience as you or a similar audience that you want without being a competitor. So for example, if you are a yoga studio, it would be really awesome if you shouted out the local juice shop because likely you have a very similar audience but someone who's buying juice isn't going to the juice shop looking for yoga, right? Like you're not competing, but you're trying to go after the same market. So as a yoga studio, you can easily say, hey, today we're going to shout out some local businesses who we love. Shout out to Pete's Green Juice Shop down the street, blah, 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 blah. And then you tag them in a story. What this does is on Pete's uh, account, <laughs> let's call it Pete's uh, Juice Shop, I think I said, um, Pete is going to see, hey, the yoga studio mentioned us in a story. He then has the option to reshare that story to his followers and voila, you have just gotten your content in front of Pete's audience, which ideally is the same audience. And now they're exposed to your brand and now they can go follow your account. So that's just one tactic you can use to get more visibility, especially when you're looking to grow in a strategic, in a strategic manner. That is so good. That is Amazing. Cause that is, it, it makes sense. And it's not necessarily the competitive side. It's literally complimentary is how you're viewing that just one strategy. That is just such an incredible tip right there. What are some other things now from, so that's from like a visibility standpoint, can we maybe get a few more tricks on the other elements of it, maybe engagement and then sure. from a sales perspective as well? Sure. Yeah. So if you're in a season of engagement, I usually tell my students, this means you have enough followers, generally a thousand or close to a thousand, which honestly, most of my top students will make five figures from Instagram with less than a thousand followers. So you don't need to be Insta famous. You just need quality followers. So let's say you have enough and you just want some feedback from them. The best uh, aspects and tools of Instagram stories you can use for engagement is there's actually engagement stickers built into Instagram stories. So you've probably seen the poll sticker, the slider sticker, the quiz sticker, um, question sticker. There's now a DM sticker. These are all built-in tools that Instagram gives us to easily get engagement back from our audience. So one of my favorite Instagram story sequences is to show up and give context as to what I'm about to share, right? Like, hey, I just had an astrology reading. The next part is share what you learned from, you know, the astrologer's feedback. And then the last part, this is the key part that most people miss, is you need to ask for some type of engagement from your audience. It could be as simple as, you know, reply to this story if you have any questions or if you've talked to an astrologer. 
Or if you don't want to do that, you can simply put up a poll in your last image or your last story and just ask a question. Have you ever talked to an astrologer before? Yes or no? Um, so it's as simple as using the built-in stickers and the algorithm likes this. The algorithm likes to see people watching your stories through and through and then engaging when you ask for engagement back. Um, the quiz sticker is really, really good to use when you are launching something. Uh, maybe you want to cover any objections that people have. I love using this sticker when I'm live launching my course and I'll say, hey, what's holding you back from joining Instagrowth Boss? And then all the options, I'll list out the typical objections I get, like, I don't have time, it's too expensive, not sure it's going to work for me, whatever the main options are. Then I can actually look at who answered what option. I can DM each person based on what they answered and give them customized advice. So if someone said, you know, it's too expensive for me, I can DM that person and say, hey, thanks for your feedback. I saw that, you know, you're looking for something a little more budget friendly. Here's the link for a pay plan. See if this helps, right? So you can get really granular in that sense. That makes complete sense. I mean, it's so easy for you to actually use in the stories. And I think that is where most of the people are living now and it's not in the feed. And all of these things are, they, they're actually pretty intuitive, right? Like nobody ever taught me how to go do these things. It's just very intuitive that Instagram has it. But what's important is that it rewards you, right? So it rewards the active users. Um, and it's so great that you said this, that you don't need to be Insta famous because I think that is something that holds so many women back from actually showing up on video, on stories or asking questions because they're like, I just don't have enough followers at least. Like I'm just not there yeah. yet, you know? And so tell me a little bit about, um, do you see that often from your audience? And, and, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about that feeling of you have to be Insta famous, um, and, or how to actually, you're saying they make five figures just off of, um, you, you don't have to have a, a 10,000 followers. You can be the thousand dollars. Yeah. If you head to my website, elisedharma.com, we have a whole section dedicated to case studies and we've featured people who are doctors, real estate agents, digital marketers, um, copywriters. We've covered a few different niches to show that, uh, and actually they talk about the strategies they used for their niche to make five figures plus. But the, the overall theme is that majority of these people booked in $1,000 up to $10,000 from Instagram, even while growing and having less than 1,000 followers. And that's because when you're growing and you start on the right foot and you attract quality followers and not just, you know, spammy accounts or buy accounts so that it looks like you have a lot of followers, who cares? Who cares if it looks like you have a lot of followers, if they're not going to engage, if they're not going to buy. So that's a message that I've been hammering home for a long time to my audience. And as a brand, as someone who teaches Instagram marketing, I actually see it as a detriment that my own account now has over 100,000 followers. That happened in the last year. And I see it as a detriment because I don't want people to think like, oh, it's easy for her to teach this. It's easy for her to say she's got 100,000 followers. So my, my messaging, my approach has changed to the point where I don't talk about my success or my results on Instagram. I only talk about my students. My students are the best example of what you can do when you're starting in whatever niche and starting from fresh to attract the right people who will become a customer. So 100%, even in 2021, you can start a new account, a new business on Instagram start with the right foundations in place. You'll attract quality, real people who will actually become customers. And that's what counts. 
That's awesome. And I couldn't agree with that more. It's definitely the slow journey. It's definitely putting in the time and really not just getting the followers, but getting the right followers in your niche, engaging with them, asking them the right questions to even build your offer, right? So even building through the process, you don't have it. You don't need to have it all figured out. You can ask them what they need and what they want and what's happening in their world to actually solve their current problems. I love that. I know. I mean, we could literally sit here and talk all day about Instagram strategies and I want to learn so much more from you. I really want to talk about YouTube because this is an element that even I myself, so I have no presence on YouTube, CEO school. We don't have a presence here. It feels like another channel. So overwhelming. How did you get started? What are some tips that you can give us and the audience to say why we should be there and what you feel about YouTube? So I want to know it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I made the decision to join YouTube in the spring of 2018, I want to say, or 2019, I've lost track. And it is a huge undertaking. I'm not going to lie. It's not as easy as opening up an Instagram account, doing a couple posts, a couple videos. You need to have a production stream. I think if you want to do it right, um, as someone who has a video background, I've intended to get on, on YouTube since like 2016, but the proof was in the pudding. I never started a channel because it's intensive. There's the filming aspect, but then there's the editing and then the publishing and the promotion. And I was always getting stuck on one of those key factors. So I didn't actually succeed with YouTube until I brought a system in place. And you're going to have to figure out what you as a business owner need the most um, based on your your mind share and where your attention's currently at. But I needed a system and I needed team members. That was the only way I was going to get it done. So we use a project management tool called Asana. I love it. It's similar to Trello, but we have an entire project dedicated just to our YouTube flow and we have the columns view. And so the first column is simply ideas to research. Then the second column is um, ideas to script. Then the third column is scripts to review. And then we, we just keep moving these topics along the flow. After the script has been reviewed, I move it into the filming phase. And I usually film myself now if I'm in my home office, I'd love to meet with my videographer in person, but you know, that all changed in 2020. Um, so I usually film myself. I'm, I'm traveling at the moment and I have my cameras and my equipment, like I figured out what I need. I'll film myself. Then I'll send the files to my videographer. And after that, it's basically out of my hands. And that's the key. That's how we can continue this going because I need an editor to, make me look good. Like you said, the videos, I look snappy and I look at this, you know, that's all because of the editing. And so animations, I feel like what's the hard part. I mean, you know, getting up on camera is one thing and then just the snazziness of like the, the, the bubbles and the letters. And it's so easy to do on stories, but I'm not a video editor and nor do do you have to be. Yeah. And, and also it just takes up so much time. Like as a CEO, should you be editing your own videos? I, sometimes when you're getting started, you do have to wear many hats, but at a certain level, you just got to outsource. And, and my video editor knows animation way better than I could. So she's the one who makes the video look as good as it does with the music and the animations. So it's out of my hands. Then, then my other team member, who's kind of my content manager, she'll review it. She'll make sure there's nothing like no mistakes. I'll review it. Then it will go into our publishing queue. And then we have a certain, um, certain list of tasks that we take care of in marketing the video. Cause that's another mistake that I find some people fall into is they'll put in a lot of effort to create the content. And then when it's actually published, it'll be like one mention. Yeah. No eyeballs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
And yes, YouTube is a search engine and yes, you will get views over time as it sits there, but the algorithm on YouTube prefers it that once you publish a video, if you can send as many people to it as, as possible. So I'll send it out in my email list. I'll share it on my Instagram stories, sometimes to my feed. If I can drive as many people to that new video in the first 24 hours, YouTube, YouTube's algorithm is going to show it to more people, just like any other algorithm. So that's our general workflow. Like I said, the key for me was team members and systems. That's amazing. And that makes complete sense because it definitely is uh, it's a new channel. Do you feel like if for somebody who's starting off, you feel like Instagram might be the best place for them to start and then moving into different channels, would that be kind of the advice that you would give? I think so. Like I like to choose one social media platform and be really good at it. So Instagram is a great choice because it's such a great relationship building tool. It's also a great sales tool. That's how most of my students can make $10,000 plus with less than a thousand followers. So that's something you could definitely manage and grow on your own. Um, YouTube is more of a search engine. And so if you're going to choose, let's say Instagram as your social media platform, if you have the bandwidth, I would choose one other platform to be your search engine. So your options would be uh, Google, meaning you publish blogs and people will find your blog. YouTube would be video content. And then Pinterest is also a pretty good search engine, but it's more related to having a blog, right? You're going to pin your blog posts onto Pinterest. So when I was a solopreneur, that's what I did. I wrote my own blog posts. I'm more of a writer. So I, I went that route and then I cultivated my relationships on Instagram. So that was my start. And as my team has grown, I've been able to add in other social platforms. That's incredible. And you do it so effortlessly. I know so many women out here probably are thinking the same thing of, can you give us your final takeaways on how to show up on video as this, like you've been doing video for so long, you're a video expert. Maybe can you give us some tips and tricks on how to show up on camera and some things that you could do to boost our confidence that we can get out there and, and actually show up on video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny that you asked me that because I'm actually an introvert and I'm camera shy and as I look back on my 20s and 30s, yeah, I actually see myself as being someone who was quite unsure of themselves. You know, I'm not someone who's naturally wanting to perform and, and wanting the eyes on me. I have a way of overthinking things, right? And so what I've done over the years, especially as an introvert, my very first website was I was dressed up in characters. So I was dressed up as Carmen Sandiego. I was dressed up as what I called a travelpreneur. I was dressed up as a tourist. Like my first brand as a personal brand wasn't really Elise. It was characters of myself. And that allowed a protection for me to not have to show up as myself, but to show up as a version of myself. And that concept has really worked for me over the years. In fact, Elise Dharma is a brand name. It's not even my real full name. It's a version of my full name, but it's intentionally a brand name so that when I'm sitting here at my desk and I'm talking to you, I can show up as the persona of Elise Dharma. Now it's not a made up version of myself. It's just the version of myself that I am okay to put out there. But there's other aspects of my life that I don't put out there. You know, if you look at my feed, you don't see a whole lot of my uh, relationship life or my family life. That's intentional. I, I don't want to uh, like put, put my family on online if they don't want to. So Elise Dharma is a persona of myself. 
Um, in fact, I think it, I even called it Elise effing Dharma. Like if I have to really pump myself up, I'll do the superwoman pose and I'll just like remind myself that this is who I'm showing up as. And it's allowed a separation so that I can have my online life and feel comfortable and not worry like, oh, who's watching my stuff? And then I can have my private life and keep that separate and keep that intimate. I love that. Thanks so much for sharing that because I actually did. I didn't know that. I, I, I just assumed that this was your persona, but that makes complete sense. And I relate to that so well, not actually on camera, but how I show up at work. I mean, my whole life I've been called Sunny. At least you, you called me Sunny when you came on video to, on our podcast show today, because to my friends and family, I've always been Sunny. And when I, you know, when I went to college and I got my first job, I had so much, like, I just wanted to show up as Sanira, which is my full name. And that to me was my persona of like, this is my working persona. And mm. Sunny is the, the fun, the crazy, the, the friend, the sister, the, like, I, that's me at home. And Sanira is who I am professionally. And I am um, competent and I'm really smart and I'm capable. And like all these things that I'm like, that I want to tell myself, and it was a mindset shift for me shift for me to come like to, for me to be Snera Madani in, in the public facing corporate world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's so interesting because I've never really thought about that from a visual lens of how I show up, um, online for me right now, I show up as Snera Madani all day long and actually Instagram gets sunny and Snera Madani because I show up as my full self, but it is really difficult. It's difficult all the time to even think about kind of what, what are the things that you want to put out there, especially as, as the audience has grown so much, right? And you're just, there are things that I used to post when it was a mom boss account that I don't anymore with my kids and my daughters and bath time and everything else that just felt so natural and it wasn't a big deal now is a big deal to me to protect my home life. And so that is such a great tip for so many people wanting to show up but needing that barrier so that it doesn't cross that personal and professional world. So that's just, that's an incredible tool that you have. And you may show up physically in a character, but even by the change of persona or a mindset, or even the boundaries of what you share, you don't necessarily need to have a physical character that you put on. It's, it could even be a metaphorical uh, character that you're showing up as. That's really cool. Absolutely. And, you know, I work in social media. Social media has given me a business that is like a dream. But I know that the design of social media platforms is to keep you on it, to keep you sharing 24 seven, to share all aspects of your life. And a lot of my students get overwhelmed by that. I get overwhelmed by that. I don't want to share all aspects of my life on social media. I'm not, I'm not treating it like a reality TV show. And, and, you know, you probably follow some people where you can tell like they're kind of dramatizing things a little bit because it gets views. That's just not me. That's not my nature. That's not my personality. And I always like to tell my students, you don't have to do it that way. And, you know, you don't even need to create a persona or a name for yourself. You could internally, but what, what I do recommend is choose themes of your life that you are okay to share publicly and the other, the rest, keep it private. So themes could be like, you know, your nine to five work hours. It could be your walks with your dog. It could be your gardening hobby. You know, if you don't want to share your kids online, you don't have to, you can totally keep that separate. You don't have to keep your um, relationship online. In fact, my partner is probably the biggest extrovert I've ever met, but does he love the camera? No. So I'm not going to like force him to be on the camera. I, I, you know, I just, it's just inauthentic that way. So choose the aspects, choose the themes of your life that you are okay with. 
and the rest you can keep private. I love it. This was so helpful. I know so many of us want to continue to learn from you. You've shared so much knowledge with us today, Elise. How can we support you? Well, I would love to connect on Instagram, of course, at Elise Dharma, and you can check out my YouTube channel, Elise Dharma, and my website, EliseDharma.com as the main hub. But thank you so much for allowing me to come and chat with your audience. It was an actual pleasure. So. Oh, it was so fun. I know we hope to have you back for many more conversations. Thanks so much, Elise, for being on the show today. And until next episode, I'll see you guys later at CEO School. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.